You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have part two of this Dodgers farm system rundown. I went through my top 10 prospects over at JustBaseball.com, put that up, and I'm really excited about this system that they have. I also just earlier, actually yesterday, it would have been at this point, put out the top prospects for the Cincinnati Reds farm system, which you can keep an eye out for that as well. That's live on the site. And that is a system that is quite top heavy, of course, with the duo of probably the best pitching prospect duo in baseball, and then some very volatile offensive prospects, but some upside there, and it was an interesting system to talk about. Not nearly as loaded as this Dodger system, however, and uh, this Dodger system, I still have to get through the back half here. Uh, if you listen to part one, uh, which was from last week, I went through prospects one to five, but to kind of rehash that list so you can see what the order was, if you may not remember. Number one on the Dodgers top 10 prospect list that I went through was Bobby Miller. And a reminder also that this article is embedded in the description so you can go see the full write-ups and statistics and all of that good stuff. And of course, the scouting grades. Number one was Bobby Miller. Number two is Miguel Vargas. And that is a third baseman. I freaking love Miguel Vargas. The guy just absolutely swings it. Number three, Diego Cartaya, catcher. Number four is Andy Pages, Outfielder, crazy athlete. Number five was Ryan Pepiot, who was the last person I talked about in that part one of the Dodger system rundown. So as we get into part two here, I'm going through six through ten and then some of the honorable mentions and names to watch moving forward. Number six is one of the more high floor bats, I think, in this system, even though there's some swing and miss. I don't have much concern that the swing and miss will ever be egregious, and I love his ability to get on base. He reminds me of somebody that is already on the big league team for them, who is unfortunately coming back from an injury, and Max Muncy. But this is Michael Bush, second baseman, made it up to double A last year, and had a really good year. Uh, Played the entire season, actually, in double A, so I should phrase that a bit better. Uh, He just started in double A and just did not stop hitting. I was surprised to not see him get the promotion to AAA, but sometimes it just has to do with personnel and, you know, the distribution of where players are needed because AA to AAA is not normally too much of a difference for a hitter, especially like Michael Bush. And Bush, man, did he have a good year overall. 267, 386, 484 slash line, 20 home runs. 48 extra base hits. That's good for a 134 WRC+, 26% K rate, which is a bit high, but it has just remained at that level no matter where he plays. He just keeps it at 25-26%, and that's why I'm not too worried about it. And the biggest reason why that I'm not worried about the strikeout rate is that he offsets it with a high walk rate no matter what. At every level, he has walked a ton. 14% walk rate for Michael Bush in AA last year. And that's where I really start paying attention to the walk rates. You know, low A, high A, sometimes it's just a matter of guys just not having command pitcher-wise. When you see the walk rates start to make their way to double A, I'm a, I'm a bit more convinced. And that's exactly what we saw with Michael Bush. The guy has a great approach. Even though he strikes out a lot, 
it seems like he's more it's more so because he is comfortable going deep into counts. He's not somebody that has a ton of swing and miss. He's comfortable taking strikes. He's comfortable if it's not the pitch he's looking for, he will let it go deep into the count and keep looking for that same pitch. He's not going to abandon his approach. If you execute execute three pitches that he wasn't looking for and you throw him off for a strike, then you'll get him here and there. But he's going to get his as well because he's going to pinpoint what he wants in what location and he's going to be able to hit it. And he doesn't miss the pitches that are in that range made evident by the 48 extra base hits and just the power overall. He's patient. He's going to see a lot of pitches, which in today's game is going to result in a lot of walks and he's going to do damage if you miss over the plate. Those types of hitters are great. He's a little bit of a three true outcome guy, uh, but I think he does a good job of it because his quality of contact is so good and his strikeouts are not egregious. 25 to 26%, I think you can take that to the bank all the way up to the big leagues. Maybe a little bit streaky at times, but I think you can take that to the bank. The question with him is the glove. He's not a great defensive second baseman at all, probably a little bit below average. Could end up moving to first. I don't know if he could accommodate a move to third, I'll be honest, because it's really hard to judge a guy's arm when he's playing second base. I want to say that he could do it. I would assume he could probably do it. The bat can handle it over there. The action seems strong enough. It's more of a matter of the arm, and I'm not going to pretend like I've seen him really uh, air it out uh, since he plays second base. So it's really tough to see if the arm could play there. He could also move to first, but that also diminishes his value a bit. He could potentially play corner outfield. I think he's versatile enough. He moves well enough. So it's going to be interesting to see where the Dodgers decide to play him because his bat is the the big time calling card. And, and I think that's something that's going to be incredibly valuable. You look at a Max Muncy who's probably a better defender all over the diamond than he is. I think that's probably safe to say, uh, but there's a big value there that he can play second, he can play first, he can play third. If if Michael Bush can continue to develop that, that would be great, but I really like the left-handed swing. It's short, compact, powerful. He has comfort to all fields. I mean, the numbers really back it up, and I expect 25 to 30 home run pop from this guy with high on base at the big league level if it all clicks. Even if he's more in the 20 home run range, the high on base ability and even just the ability to hit both lefties and righties, you know, he doesn't have too dramatic a splits, I think is a, is a really good reason why he's going to be a successful hitter at the big league level and continue to climb up. Going into number seven here is back to the pitching side of things. And a lot of guys in this system are stuff first, or at least guys who just have insanely, insanely good stuff. And the Dodgers are developing into either finding a third pitch or continuing to hone in on the command. Landon Knack is a guy that's really just command first and a decent three pitch mix that is just good enough because of the fact that he commands it so well. I mean, his numbers in 2021 were crazy. Finished the year in double A and was between high A and double A, but absolutely carved high A hitters. He gave up some louder contact in double A, and that's where I get concerned because the command guys that can mix up three pitches, they will carve up lower level hitters. But when you get up to double A, then it gets a little bit more difficult because even if you are mixing it up with three pitches, you cannot miss your spots. And even then, if your fastball is not quite as lively or the breaking stuff is not as nasty as most guys are used to seeing, they'll be able to hit you and your margin for error is razor thin. You got to really, really hit your spots. Knack has great command, but he didn't get away with missing his spots as much in double A. Still between the two levels, his numbers were great. 62 and a thirds innings. You remember if I told you in part one about how the Dodgers love to slow roll their pitchers into their professional career. So ignore the small inning sample size, but 62 and a thirds innings between high A and double A, 3.18 ERA, 3.31 FIP, 
0.19 whip, and this is where it was really impressive. 33.3 strikeout percentage, 3.3 walk percentage. I mean, he walked nobody, absolutely nobody. The walk rate ticked up a little bit in double A. I think it was because he was nibbling at the corners too much, uh, but a 216 opponent batting average as well is more than respectable. Obviously, that went up a little bit in double A as well. While Knack is a guy who's going to be dependent on the command, I think that the stuff is good enough. The fastball's above average. The slider's above average. The changeup's presently average with a chance to be above average. You pair those three pitches with plus command or well above average command, and you've got a solid middle of the rotation starter. That's exactly what I think Landon Knack can be, especially as his fastball continues to tick up a little bit because it has. It was sitting in the mid-90s with 2,400 RPMs uh, this past season, which is up from where it was before. So as he continues to just get better and better with locating that pitch east to west, I think he's going to have some success there. And the changeup will allow that pitch to play up more. He needs more comfort with the changeup. As that pitch develops, he will be much, much better off. As I said earlier, when Knack really gets into trouble, it's when he misses his spots, right? He's always going to pound the strike zone, which hitters know. And so when he's usually nibbling at the corners, at times that fastball would run back over the middle. And hitters are really aggressive against Knack because they know he's going to pound the strike zone. When you miss over the middle, you're going to pay for it. And that's exactly what happened with Landon Knack because guys knew he was going to be around the strike zone. That's why you hear the term effectively wild. You don't want to intentionally be wild, right? But when your stuff is is just above average across the board, you cannot afford to miss over the middle, especially when you're around the strike zone a lot. But I think that's something that's going to get better, obviously, as his command continues to improve. There's a little bit of more pressure on his command than the other guys in the system. But the changeup continues to get better. I think that's really going to help his fastball. He seems to get more and more confident here. He seemed to have gotten more and more confidence in that pitch as the season went on. It has great arm side fade and vertical drop. I think that's going to be a problem for lefties. And he's got an above average slider that will be good enough to get righties. So you have that mix. You have the ability to go after lefties and righties. There's nothing, nothing devastating, but I think he has an idea of how he wants to attack hitters and has an above average secondary or average at least with a chance to be above average to attack both lefties and righties with improved fastball location. It's a guy that's a pretty safe bet to be a number four uh, with the upside of a number three if the quality of stuff upticks. But I mean, that's a good you're taking a high floor number four starter any day of the week that throws strikes. And I think that's exactly what Landon Ack is. You might be wondering, why is Landon Ack so high then? Well, because there is a lot of value in that, right? Like we love to see guys like that. If I'm running a team, if I have a front office, I want the Pepe outs of the world. I want the Clayton Beaters of the world who are coming up, uh, who's coming up next at number eight. But I also need some safety. I need to hedge my bets a little bit. And I think Landon Ack is an example of hedging said bet and is a safe bet to be able to be a starter at the big league level. A guy that has a lot of probably reliever concern to me is Clayton Beater, who comes in at number eight. And Beater's got crazy stuff out of Texas Tech. And Texas Tech seems to just produce some guys who didn't put up great numbers in AA, but have crazy stuff and then become projects at the big league level. It's really interesting. There's a, there's a few guys like that. Uh, you have Bryce Bonin, who I just wrote up uh, with the Reds as well. That's a similar type of profile and a couple others in the past. Uh, but Clayton Beater, the Dodgers gave him above slot value in 2020 to sign him away from another season at Texas Tech. And it was just the stuff that, that really impressed. His numbers weren't that great, but the Dodgers loved the stuff and figured that they could develop him. The fastball is a electric. The slider is insane. It's a plus plus pitch. He's got a curveball that is a hammer as well. 
and then a changeup that is kind of an afterthought and not great command. He's a sprayer a little bit. He doesn't really know where it's going some of the time, but it's so nasty it doesn't matter. His numbers between high A and double A, 52 and a thirds innings, 3.44 ERA, 3.44 FIP, 1.15 WHIP. Struck out 36.6% of batters and walked a little over 10% of batters, which doesn't tell the whole story. The walks aren't as egregious as you may think, but he misses his spots. He sprays all over the strike zone a little bit, and, and that's a little bit of a concern there. But Beater has an explosive fastball and a pair of breaking balls that are probably two of the most aesthetically pleasing breaking balls I've seen uh, in a long time, especially in the minor leagues. It's the slider's the better of the two. It's a mid to upper 80s pitch that has incredible drop with that velocity. It just It's just firm and just dives off the table. It is disgusting. And then he also has the curveball, which is more of a 12-6 pitch, but it's in the low 80s. What kind of curveball that is 12-6 is in the low 80s like that? It is a miserable two pitches to have to face. The 12-6 works against lefties. Remember, Beater's righty, uh, but it works against righties as well. And frankly, the slider is the same story because it's so sharp with late horizontal bite that he can back leg left-handed hitters. And of course, you can sweep that thing away from right-handed hitters. I have my concerns about Beater, given that he, he doesn't have a ton of comfort with the changeup, but I don't really worry about that as much because he gives you three distinct speeds with the mid to upper 90s fastball and then the, or I would say it's closer to mid 90s fastball, then the more firm slider and then the low 80s uh, curveball that give him a solid enough three pitch mix. It's more so just can he throw enough strikes? The command really wavered start to start, and I think we saw that big time. It'll be interesting to follow if he can stick in a rotation. I mean, oh my gosh, he could be really nasty, but he also could be a wipe out back end relief option with the fastball and pair of breaking balls that I think would be one of the better in baseball if, if it all continues to develop the way I think it will. Frankly, Clayton Beater's slider reminds me a lot of Blake Trinan's, and I'm sure that's part of the reason why the Dodgers liked him. Uh, and they see that commonality in the type of slider that they like. I, I definitely see it, and it's a big reason why I'm very bullish on Beater as a back end of the bullpen guy. But I think he has a shot, if the command can even be average to slightly below average, that to be a really solid strikeout rotational arm. I'll probably bet on him going to the bullpen, but he can be a really really wipe out arm out of the bullpen. So definitely a name to watch. Speaking of arms out of the bullpen, but a guy that I think actually could end up sticking in the rotation, a little bit of a flip-flop, but he was in the bullpen and made a couple starts for the Dodgers last year, Andre Jackson. And you may remember way back if you're a locked on MLB prospects OG, I talked about Andre Jackson and back then I think he was ranked in the back end 20s of their system and he's just continued to rise up and has really met a lot of the things that I was hoping he would be able to meet and improved in the areas that I was hoping he'd be able to improve. So I'm really excited to talk about Andre Jackson, who I'll get to in a second. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. I have so many delicious flavors. They're all low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, and high in protein. What else would you want for a protein bar? And it's a great gift for the holidays. They have so many different flavors and they have a promo right now. If you go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. They'll deliver it straight to your door. That's locked on five for 15% off your next order. 
Also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the College Bowl season and the Pro Football Playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of these sports action this season. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, and you'll receive that bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, so don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing new offers available. BetOnline, where the game starts. So let's start back up here with Andre Jackson, who between AA and AAA had a really solid year in the minors, struggled a bit in the majors, but I thought showed really good flashes. And honestly, I think the Dodgers are super bullish on Andre Jackson. He's got a really unique arsenal across the board. His command has improved. And between double and triple A last year, 95 and a third's innings, 3.6 ADRA. The FIP was crazy high because he ran into some home run issues at times, 5, 5.18 FIP. But I'm not overly concerned about that. 1.11 whip, 26% K rate, 7.7% walk rate. I know you're thinking, why are you not worried about FIP? You always cite it as something that's important. I, I totally understand that. But when you are pitching in what used to be the Pacific League or whatever you want to call it, the PCL, and now it's just kind of an assortment of the same ballparks that you have to pitch in, home runs can burn you pretty quickly and almost disproportionately to the major leagues. I mean, if we're going to take offensive production from players in that area with a grain of salt, then we need to take some of the home run struggles from players in that area with a grain of salt as well. I think Jackson is always going to struggle at times to give up home runs he, when he misses over the middle. I mean, the fastball's more in the low 90s, but it has a ton of life and high spin. And again, it's just another one of those guys where the fastball almost has too much movement for his own good because when he goes to aim glove side and it misses by tailing back over the middle, then you're in a bit of trouble. Uh, and that's where you give up the home runs. That's kind of what we saw with Andre Jackson. But what I like about him is that he has this assortment of pitches that he'll attack you with and that he can really mix it up well. The fastball is above average because of the life it has. The cutter is above average as well when he really locates it, which he does well to the glove side. The changeup is plus, which works off of the high spin fastball really well. And I love the high spin fastball with the fading changeup combination. I love seeing that. Then he mixes in a curveball from time to time to steal strikes. The command is improved. I think this guy could be a back end of the rotation arm who has some more upside. He's a super athletic pitcher. And even though he's 25 years old, had a little bit of a delay to his professional career and lost a lot of innings uh, because of the cancellation in 2020. I think this guy's going to be a really, really solid piece for them. And I'm excited to see how he continues to develop. I think he's going to be one of those later bloomer type guys as he just continues to unlock more and more. I'm willing to bet on the Dodgers helping him unlock that. I like his assortment of pitches. I like his athleticism. And I love the life on his fastball. Dodgers will help unlock him, and that's a name to watch. If he does not hit that back end of the rotation type of profile that I see, he can definitely be uh, an exciting reliever as well. Rounding out the top 10 is a guy that I admittedly have not seen too much of, and I am always very skeptical of international free agents, no matter how much hype they get, uh, just because we we see how much uh, volatility there is there. And I mean, there's volatility in prospects in general in the sport of baseball more than any because of just how difficult it is to be able to predict in this kind of realm. I mean, baseball is so difficult. But when you look at international free agency, there are a lot of things to unpack there, and that could be a whole episode 
episode in itself about how some of these players are presented by some of the academies or some of the areas or people that are known in those areas for pumping prospects out and the way that they kind of pump them up and make them look better than they are at times versus the guys that they really want to market. A lot of guys that kind of fall in between the cracks. And you can see a lot of the top prospects in baseball were signed for very cheap, much less than seven figures, many of them less than six figures. Luis Rodriguez was given $2.67 million. And when the Dodgers give a lot of money out in international free agency, I'm always going to pay attention, as you should with just about any team that shells out a ton of money. And of course, there is probably a pretty solid correlation between the most expensive prospects and or the most expensive international free agents and them having success. But I will also say that I would rather play the percentages of six to 20 in the top prospect range than just going all in on number one a lot of the time, because you can look at it historically. It's not that great. Luis Rodriguez was one of the best prospects in that class, but it is just really hard to gauge because you don't get to see them playing uh, against other people and in real games that often, especially when they're this young and you're signing 17-year-olds and you're really just betting on athleticism and the way they look and a dream. Uh, But with Luis Rodriguez, I don't think he's that necessarily extreme. I don't really see it that way as much because I do like his bat-to-ball skills. I do like the athleticism. I think he's more polished than your typical teenage international free agent. It's also still really difficult to be able to give much info on him because he struggled in rookie ball last year and he showed his ability when he does connect that he has natural bat speed, that he has ability to drive the ball over the field, but he also still is very, very, very raw. And we saw that firsthand uh, through that little rookie stint last year where he hit just 216 to or 326 367 slash line he did hit eight home runs kind of shows you how when he runs into baseballs he's got power for a young kid already that's wiry strong but he's got a long way to go I think the athleticism plays he's an above average runner who takes good routes to the baseball should be able to stick in center field unless he fills out dramatically Uh, but it's just really hard to project a guy like that realistically it's just it's just too hard but I like the upside I'm going to always side in the back end of the top 10 with guys like that I want to see a bit more more, uh, but I, th- I think there's just too much to like their tools wise to not have him in the top 10. And, and that's why he rounds out the top 10. But there are some really interesting guys in the honorable mention range that I'm excited to, to go through here, which one of them is somebody that's absolutely mashed all the way through his minor league career, Ryan Noda. And Ryan Noda is very limited because he's probably going to have to be stuck to first base or subpar outfield. But Noda has been just a masher since he's come up into the minor leagues. In 2018, in low A, he put up a 905 OPS with 20 jacks. Then 2019 in high A, this is with the Blue Jays at the time, he puts up a 790 OPS, but he launches 13 home runs and was a bit of a down year, but if that's a down year, I'll take it. Then 2021, 904 OPS launched 29 home runs in double A last year for the Dodgers. He's older. He is a guy that's about 25 years old, and he's bat first, but I like the bat. I think it plays, and he's a name worth watching for sure, as the Dodgers do have a lot of these upper-level minor league guys that can mash too. Uh, we saw McKinstry last year, somebody that wasn't getting a ton of hype before the season, even the Zach Rexes of the world. But I think Noda's power can really play at the big league level. We'll see how much he can swing it. He does walk a ton, which is really good, and has consistently produced exit velos over 110 miles an hour. Another guy worth watching, Hyun Il Choi. 
He won pitcher of the year in this system. In this system, he won minor league pitcher of the year because he just dots. He's got crazy command. His elite command is you're going to find really in the minor leagues. And the fastball leaves a bit to be desired. It's in the low 90s, but he spots it up so well. The changeup is average. The slider is average. So you got three average pitches. He locates super well. If he can see an uptick in velo, could be a good back end of the rotation starter. Uh, but worth watching, no doubt about it. Cody Hosey. Really disappointing year last year. Former first-round pick. Major breakout in his junior season at Tulane. Hit a ton of home runs, but just really got blown up by fastballs this past year. The third baseman did not hit well in AA. Maddox Bruns, this year's first-round pick. A southpaw. Super interesting. A guy worth watching. We barely saw him in professional baseball, but the stuff is crazy. And I'm betting that the Dodgers will help develop the Alabama Gatorade Player of the Year last year. Interesting guy to watch who they've really been on the upside there uh, with Maddox Bruns. One other guy that's really interesting is Brandon Lewis. He's a third baseman slash first baseman. Can also play a little corner outfield as well. Major power. I mean, he launched 30 home runs between low A and high A. It's worth following, but I just don't know if he's going to make enough contact uh, to really be able to hit through the upper level. So definitely something to watch. But anytime someone hits 30 home runs, I'm watching. And that's exactly what Brandon Lewis did. I also, as I mentioned earlier, just put out the Reds top 10 prospects. And I'm going to talk about that in the future episodes later this week. But if you want to go take a peek, you can check it out right now. And of course, the write-ups for this Dodger system rundown are embedded in the description uh, below. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking prospects with you later this week.